This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show and happy Monday. We're going to get to all the big news in just a minute from what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock last night at the Oscars in a rather stunning moment um, to Biden and his multiple missteps, including the latest one uh, seeming to call for regime change uh, within Russia and then all the White House aides running to try to take it back. I mean, it's happened over and over and over. He can't keep his mouth shut. He cannot control his messaging. And on this particular matter, he needs to. It's one thing when he's talking about his chocolate, chocolate chip. It's quite another when we're talking about Russia and Ukraine and so on. Um, But before we get to our guests and the news and all that, I wanted to talk to you guys personally about a couple of things that have been on my mind. First of all, I'm going to tell you, those who are watching this on YouTube, in for the next two weeks, you're going to see me with my glasses on and off um, as needed because I'm having LASIK in two weeks, two weeks from, wait, less than two weeks. Um, I'm having LASIK and you can't wear your glasses for two weeks before they, they need your corneas to be like not manipulated by contact lenses. So I'm very excited to be getting LASIK and there's a lot of pressure on the doctor because if he screws it up, of course, you know, you're all going to know, <laughs> but um, letting you know that number two, just got back from vacation and I wanted to talk to you guys about something that happened on vacation because it was big in my own world and I just didn't feel like I could just resume the show without talking about it. So you may have noticed, um, not last week, last week we did the RFK Jr. interview on Monday and Tuesday, and then we did sort of a wellness week special for you guys the, the following three days on sleep, on exercise, on time management, all well worth your time, by the way. Um, But the prior week, we were live the first three days from Montana, and then there were a lot of people noticing that we weren't on the air Thursday and Friday and wondering why that was. And there was a very good reason. We had planned on doing the show. However, something happened to my little guy, my Thatcher, my eight-year-old, while we were skiing. And thank God he's okay. So I'll just start with the lead. But it was just such a crazy experience. We were skiing in Montana, and he's a good skier. He's been skiing since he was really, really little. Um, And he was on an advanced run and did the run just fine, skied it just fine, but was inspired by this cave-like structure that was on the run to check it out. And he he was with his instructor, um, 
And it's something I guess a lot of people go to and they sort of hike up to get into this little cave and take a break on this run. And he did that. And he didn't even have his, ski, have his skis on. He had on his ski boots. Again, he's only eight. And it was the end of the day and he was tired and he apparently didn't have the strength to make the climb that's necessary to get into this little cave. And he fell. Now, meantime, I skied a little bit that morning and then I was going for a, for a, uh, actually we, I did the show. I did a little skiing and then I was going for a massage and I get a call from Doug saying, um, Thatcher's hurt and he's fine. He's, he's fine, but he's hurt and he's got to go to the hospital to be checked out. So I confess my first instinct was, ah, crap, I'm going to miss my massage. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> you Have you ever been there? You know, it's like, oh, I'm sure he's fine, but we'll go get him checked out. So I get in the ambulance and there's Thatcher and he seems okay. He's speaking. He says he fell 10 feet and landed on some rocks uh, while hiking up this part of the mountain. But he's got an IV in him. And I'm like, why does he have an IV in him? And the ambulance, um, you know, the emergency technician said that's protocol when there might be an internal injury. I'm like, well, why do you think there's an internal injury? She said, well, given the way he fell, he fell on rocks and the, the pain that he'd been complaining of. Um, it's a possibility. So this is protocol. So she said, do you want me to give him some fentanyl? So I'm like, no, <laughs> no, he seems fine. He's in some pain. But no, I don't want my eight year old to have fentanyl um, right now. Let's wait until we get to the hospital. And I understand, again, she was following protocol, but it's a it's a jarring thing to be asked that question. So we get to the hospital and they said they needed to run some tests. First, they needed to do an ultrasound on his belly to see what they'd find. And they did that. Dr. Rodriguez did that. And we saw it. And he said, what we're looking for is fluid that doesn't belong in between the organs, which would be, you know, he said the only fluid that they're concerned about is blood. Um, so they don't want any internal bleeding. So he did the scan and Thatcher said, I'm going to be fine. I don't, th I don't think I have that. And um, he was so brave throughout. So nothing came up. Okay, great. Then they said, we have to do one more scan. And that's a CT scan. And you've heard about CT scans, right? Although I've never had one. I didn't actually know what it, what it was. What it is is an enormous x-ray that has, unfortunately, a lot of radiation. But it's great at seeing what an ultrasound can't see. So my little guy um, we put some pictures on the board. You know, I don't show them publicly because I'm pretty much the opposite of Kim Kardashian when it comes to my children. Um, so we put some pictures up where you can't really see Thatcher's face. But he's going into the CT scan here. and lo and behold, there was internal bleeding. And he had lacerated, like had two severe lacerations to his spleen and a third, the size of which they weren't able to determine. So three tears of his spleen, which is only, I, I guess it's about five inches. I'm not totally sure on the size of a, a little boy's spleen, but he dinged it up pretty good. And he was bleeding internally. And they said, you need to go to a more serious hospital right now. And they said, ASAP, you got to get in the, into the ambulance. So we were like, oh my God, what? So, you know, it's like an hour earlier, I'd been like, oh, I'm going to miss my massage. And, you know, Thatcher's going to be fine. We're going to go home. And now suddenly we're, it's ASAP into the ambulance to the more severe hospital. So we get back into the ambulance and he's still fine, you know, in terms of like he's speaking and you know, we're kind of cracking jokes. I'm, I'm taking video of it just to sort of 
we were laughing the whole time. We're, this is going to be a great show and tell. He still has, they call it share. Um, it's going to be a great share. And uh, we get to the hospital and they whisk him into the ICU. And now I'm like, why are we going into the I-? I mean, I know absolutely nothing about medicine, right? So it's like, why are we going into the ICU? And no one's making it totally clear to me why we're going to the ICU um, until this lovely nurse who became sort of the heroine of our stay, Alyssa, um, ultimately sat me down and explained to me that these are severe tears of his spleen and that there's a very good chance he's going to lose his spleen and the doctor's going to explain more. So now I call Doug. He's with our other two children. And, you know, he and I had been talking, but you know, now we understand there's internal bleeding. This could be a an operation situation in a hospital we don't know, in a town we don't know, in the middle of Montana. And we don't have our doctor there. We don't know what to do exactly. But the surgeon did come in and said, um, we, we hope he's not going to lose his spleen. But if the bleeding continues, we're going to take the spleen. And, you know, I only know what I know from ER. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay. That's not bad. You lose the spleen. I said, Thatcher, of all the organs you could have injured, that's the best one to to have to lose. And the doctor said, well, the gallbladder's better. <laughs> that was the doctor at the first hospital. Um, so I wasn't that worried. But then we started talking to our doctors back on the East Coast, who we, we'd known a long time, friends of the family, peds specialists, and so on. And pretty much to a person, they said, don't lose the spleen. That there's it's almost never necessary in a young child to take the spleen uh, to, in today's day and age. And that there are other measures you can do. Like there's, if you can get an interventional radiologist, you can potentially save the spleen without taking it. Um, and, and taking the spleen itself is a major operation, which our surgeon told us as well. So, right. So now you're there like, oh God, okay. So we don't really want him to operate we it's it was a level three trauma center not a level one and they didn't have a ped specialist so that was another thing which wasn't ideal and um some of the folks advising us were saying you should seriously look into medevacing him to a level one trauma center with this with this pediatric specialist uh or at least an interventional radiologist and that's i guess what you need to sort of repair the spleen as opposed to take the spleen um so the the closest places that there you could find that were Seattle, I think, and Salt Lake City, Utah. But that's a lengthy plane ride. And our surgeon was saying, don't move him. Like the number one thing you don't want to do right now is move him. He needs to be in the ICU. He needs to be in the hospital bed. And he is not allowed to even get up to go to the bathroom. He cannot leave the bed. <sighs> so as a parent, like, what do you do? Right. Like, what do you do? because the bleeding's not stopping. We don't want him to lose the spleen. If there's any way of repairing it, we'd like to do that. But it's not safe to move him. We're looking into the medevac flights, none of which can come immediately anyway. You can, apparently, they don't work the way they do in the movies, where it's like instantaneously you're gone. It takes a long time to arrange. Um, and and then that's if you can get a bed on the receiving end and if you can find the right person on the receiving end. And, and you know, in the meantime, we look at our surgeon and our surgeon said to me, he is not cleared for travel, like really felt strongly we should not be putting him on a flight. So the long and the short of it was they found an interventional radiologist who was not a peds specialist, but who had done some work on children. And they said, if things go south, this person's here. 
there was a funny moment that you guys might appreciate knowing me as as none of these people did um where i was just as calm as i am speaking to you now i mean if i if i have one you know sort of natural benefit to my normal personality it's I'm, I'm not a panicker. I'm not an anxious person. I always joke that I'm I'm like Jeb Bush, low energy, if anything, which has come back to help me more than haunt me in my life. I just, it takes a lot to get me like anxious about stuff. And I was talking to the doctor and I was saying, what should we do? And what are the options? And, blah, blah, blah. and he was like, you need to not panic. You need to not panic. And I was not panicking. And, um, you know, I, I laughed like those who know me, <laughs> Those who know anything about me know that I can take an enormous shitstorm in my life without panicking. Once again, I swore it's still Lent. Lord, forgive me. Um, so I wasn't panicking, but I was, I was just saying to Abby, feeling the water start to rise. You know what I mean? I could feel the like as the news kept coming in that the bleeding was ongoing and I'm talking to Doug and we're trying to figure out what to do. And it's not, there's not a clear course. There's not a clear right course. I could feel the water rising. I sat down, I took a couple of deep breaths and just reminded myself that I had to be the parent, you know, that he was depending on me and Doug and like we had to make a decision and this was no time to lose this natural skill that has served me so well. And I was fine. We decided to stay at the hospital. We were in Bozeman, Montana. And I can't say enough about the people there. They were wonderful. The nurses, the doctor, the PAs, everyone just treated us all so well and was so good in their communications with us and their treatment of my son. Um, so we decided to stay. I was there overnight, every night. Doug was too. We switched on and off a couple of nights in part because of you guys. Because while all this was going on, we were finishing up the RFK interview, which we had taped a few days earlier. And we wanted it to be amazing. We wanted it to be as close to perfect as it could be. And we wanted to achieve the impossible. And we did, which was we managed to air a four-hour interview with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and have it live on all platforms with no censorship. And it all it stayed monetized everywhere, which was less important, but it is a feat. Um, and he was happy with it, and our audience loved it. Like we I mean Who's ever done that before, right? Everyone's always getting deplatformed. You put somebody like RFK Jr. on, which is total nonsense because he was riveting and great. But we did it. And so I was coming back to our cabin where we ski and doing the sort of, you know, ins and outs, as we call them, to that that four-hour show, which we split up over last Monday, Tuesday. And I have to say here a word on my amazing team and on the importance of colleagues and friends you can trust. Because there was a lot of fact-checking that went into the RFK interview, as you know. And uh, and by the way, for it's what it's worth, he checked out on virtually everything he said, right? So he's not some like disinformation machine, as people would have you believe. There were a couple things that we wanted to make sure the record was clear on or make sure we offered perspective on. Um, but it required a lot of work on our part. And my team just completely took the ball and ran, knowing that I was at the hospital. I was dealing with Thatcher, Doug, too. And so when I got back to the place where Sirius had rented me this camera and so on, God bless Sirius too. They aired this thing without giving us any problem. They were nothing but supportive. Um, I could just sit in the chair and do the ins and outs and, and get back to the hospital. And I think the end product was excellent. I just thought I was really proud of the interview. I hope if you haven't listened to it that you do. 
and I hope you enjoy it too. Part one is all about vaccines and so on, Fauci. And the second part um, has got some of that and then a lot about his personal history. Um, fascinating stuff. So my team, very proud of them and very grateful to them. On the third day of the hospital stay, things went in the wrong direction. And Thatcher's vitals were not doing what we wanted them to do. His his blood pressure was falling and his heart rate, his pulse was rising. And the doctor said we might have to send him back in for another CT scan to see if the bleeding had stopped. That's the thing. It's not an arm that's bleeding. It's not like a head even. You can't see it. And um, he was in pain. We really didn't want to do it. It's a lot of radiation. And if you have to get it done, you got to get it done. But if you can avoid it, boy, it'd be better too. And so the doctor said, let's wait a bit before we do that. And then we'll see. And thankfully, things took a turn for the better then. And um, we managed to make it through the five days. The kid did not leave that bed for five days, which led to some very awkward and funny exchanges when it was time to use the facilities, which he wasn't allowed to do <laughs> for me, Doug and Thatcher. Um, but who cares, right? You're not even thinking about that stuff. You're just thinking about your babe, how much you love him, how you pray everything's going to be okay. And, you know, we kept laughing a lot. We got his brother and sister in for a quick visit. God bless our nurse who made that, made that happen, even though it may not technically have been allowed and um, made it through. And he's okay. He left the hospital after those it was six days total. When he got out of the bed, he was like a baby deer. You know, he could he was like a Bambi. He could barely like step. He lost five pounds, which, you know, he was only like 68 pounds to start. And it wasn't until we walked out of the hospital and I hugged the nurse, Alyssa, that it finally hit me, right? Like feeling it now. You know, the amount of stress and the love that you have for your children and the fragility of these little bodies who totally depend on you and the enormous responsibility you have for their well-being, you know, for making huge decisions and the importance of family and friends, right? And good colleagues. I had Doug. I don't know what people who are single parenting do. God bless you. God bless you. It must be so hard, you know, and I'm sure you have the the feeling of, of loving your friends and your family even more. My two older, Yates and Yardley, were so delightful. They were so supportive of Thatcher. Kept writing him notes. And when we got home, they had the, the place plastered with fun signs. Like, we'll put them on the board on the YouTube. It's been so long since we've spleen you. <laughs> Just cute moments that, you know, brought all five of us together. And my, my son Yates gave Thatcher the the greatest hug, which we caught on camera, which was just such a lovely moment, one I will never forget. Um, and it left me feeling a couple of things when it was all done between the RFK stuff, the hospital stuff. Um, early on in the show, we had somebody on, and it's a saying, I guess, but they said something to the effect of, you know, the only thing that matters in life is within 15 feet of you, you know, generally, like your family, your friends, your closest colleagues. And I, made a decision a few years ago to make sure the things that were within 15 feet of me were the right things, you know, meaning not Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> um, 
And man, it was the right decision. It's been a rocky road. I'm not going to lie. Some of the some of the path has been pretty rocky, but now it's pretty smooth and it's pretty glorious. And I have been able to raise my kids, to be with my friends a little bit more, at least um, a lot more on the kids and the family, to nurture my marriage. And now I found a way to surround myself with amazing colleagues who I absolutely treasure and who are helping me bring the show to you. And and in a way, I feel surrounded by you. You know, like I knew I was going to tell you the story. I knew that the people who understand who I am would find it interesting and would understand why I'm telling it to you. And that's a connection that's valuable to me as well. So thank you for being part of my 15 feet. And thank you to my colleagues on the show, uh, colleagues at Sirius as well. Uh, And just a reminder to all of you that if you've got the wrong things there, it's not too late for you either to change what's within that grasp and to set yourself up for success. God forbid a tragedy should come your way or at least a potential tragedy should come your way. All right. So that's what I wanted to tell you that and my LASIK. (laughs) Um, And coming up, we're going to get to the news. Um, Sarab Amari is here and we're going to talk about Biden and that crazy Will Smith, who also really prizes his family (laughs) moment at the Oscars last night. Don't go away. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Okay, there's a lot of news to cover from President Biden's dangerous off-script remark yet again that Vladimir Putin, quote, cannot remain in power to Will Smith's Oscar slap heard round the world. It was like, is it a punch? Is it a slap? Right. Did you have that? And then you saw the replay of like Japanese TV. It was like it was a slap. It was an open handed slap. Joining me now to discuss it all and the latest on the federal investigation into Hunter Biden is Sarab Amari founder and editor of the brand new online magazine called Compact, which we want to talk to Sarab about as well. Sarab, great to see you again. So good to see you, Megan. And I'm so sorry to hear about Thatcher and grateful. It seems like things are stabilizing. Oh, thank you so much. You know, what? it is it is a relief to be back home, you know, to be sort of just in the area where we know all the doctors and we know exactly where to go in case there's an emergency. And he's fine, though. I mean, last night he he played a little basketball and he was excited. We put together, Sarab, you, you won't be surprised to hear like a little video mashup of, you know, because I was his little documentarian. So he showed it to a second grade today. And I'm expecting that it really was the most awesome share ever. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay. So as a father of a son, I know you get it. Um, let's start with, there's so much to talk to you about. I mean, the Hunter Biden stuff, because obviously you having been with the post for so long, um, compact, but I want to talk, I want to kick it off with Joe Biden and his latest gaffe. I mean, how many, like he, he can't be allowed to speak to people, right? Like the, the problem with letting him loose domestically is he might say something stupid. And so the white house has to come out and clean it up. The, the problem with him doing it on a much more, you know, international level is, we actually could spark World War Three. Here's the latest. This is soundbite for uh, Biden in Warsaw ad-libbing something about President Putin. Of decency and dignity of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. So that wasn't part of the prepared remarks. By the way, neither was Chris Rock's comment on Jada Pinkett Smith. I think we're getting a lesson here about going off script. Um, and the White House has now spent, you know, the, the better part of the last 48 hours trying to walk it back. He didn't mean that. He didn't mean he can't remain in power. What he meant was he can't. Um, we don't want him. Let me read you exactly. Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. What Biden said was he can't cannot remain, remain in power. Now they're trying to say he meant allowed to exercise it over his neighbors. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken said basically the same, trying to clean it up. He he just meant he he can't be empowered to wage war against Ukraine. You tell me whether we should be allowing him to speak at all from this point forward on Ukraine or anything else. Megan, you remember the time he was uh, talking to a group of supporters and he started talking about how the kids would rub their hands down his legs and his hairs would stand on end. It was a really bizarre, yes. awkward comment. Um, and you also remember when he called just some some construction worker who asked him a question, he called him fat. He said, listen, fat, um, <laughs> that stuff is fine in the domestic sphere, I guess. It's really not fine. It's alarming, but it like you said, stupid comments in the domestic sphere um, can be contained. When you're dealing with um, a situation with, you know, this vast Eurasian land power, Russia, that's invading its neighbors, it's a nuclear armed power, just speaking off the cuff about regime changing Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin is extremely dangerous. And it's, it's both what was substantively said is wrong, Right. We do not need to seek regime change against Russia. We tried regime change wars the past 20 years against much smaller and less important countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya and Syria. And the result in all those cases was dangerous. And this is where Russia we're talking about. So it's substantively the wrong thing to say. But even if this kind of discussion is percolating in the White House, the fact that he can't resist um speaking out loud, as it were, in a setting as sensitive as that. He's standing nearby in Warsaw, um, that he can't self-censor or whatever it was that happened with this lapse shows you the limits of having a president that, I'm sorry to say, but he's he's losing mental acuity and um, is a liability for the United States and our allies. Look, that is a fair assessment of what's going on right now, uh, because This will be used by Vladimir Putin uh, to win a propaganda war against us. Uh, It'll be played in Russia saying this is what the United States is really after. You know, they they just want 
to pick your leader. They don't want you to pick your leader. They want to pick your leader. And that's what they claim happened in Ukraine, too. Right. Uh, So it matters that he can't control his mouth. It matters. He's the president. And this wasn't even close to the first time, including on on Ukraine, on, on Russia. Okay, so I just wrote down a couple who could forget minor incursion. Right. Then he called Putin a war criminal, which was not intended. And the White House first spent a day trying to say, oh, that's just his personal opinion. He's not really speaking as president. (laughs) What? Until they were like, no, actually, okay, we'll go with it. He's war criminal. Um, Then there was cannot remain in power. Um, Then he apparently just said to our troops, speaking to our troops about uh, Ukraine, he's talking to the troops over in Poland saying, oh, the Ukrainians, they'll, they'll stand in front of the tanks. You'll see it when you're there. You'll see it suggesting that he were about to send American troops into into Ukraine, which is a massive news story. But then the White House had to roll the bat, that back and say, no, 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 we're not doing that. Um, and then he also said that we were going to respond in kind, quote, respond in kind if Russia uses chemical weapons, meaning we're going to drop a chemical weapon. And then the White House had to spend the next couple of days rolling that back. We didn't we didn't mean that. We didn't mean that. Either. He can't control himself. Yeah. And you know what? Now, to to speak somewhat uh, in defense of President Biden, I will say this, that I think he actually has a lot of good instincts on this relative to other people in Washington. You know, there are some really scary hawks in my mind, Kelly, uh, you know, genuine psychos who are dreaming of regime change in Russia and things like this and uh, are, are prepared to accept really serious escalation, right? And, and they they are even saying like, okay, well then let's go to World War III, not realizing the nuclear stakes. And I will say that in terms of policy, the Biden White House has been, is more restrained than others who, who could be in power right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a blessing because, you know, it, the idea, for example, of imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine it polls well because people, a lot of Americans and others in Europe don't know what that means. It means shooting down Russian planes, which would trigger World War III, uh, which would trigger potentially a nuclear exchange. It's really serious stuff. And the Biden administration has resisted that. But then there is this side of it. And I, I mean, it is it must be so frustrating for his handlers, certainly. It must be really frustrating for other world leaders. You saw how quickly French, German, other world leaders, uh, you know, Emmanuel Macron most sternly said, no, we don't want to pursue a policy of regime change. This is the kind of thing that prevents de-escalation. Because look, if you make Vladimir Putin think like there is no other off-ramps, that uh, it's his life or his ability to stay in power that are at stake, then he'll, he'll have no incentives to act rationally and limit his goals in Ukraine or de-escalate or what have you. So -hmm. this kind of loose talk really sinks nations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one thing when he's sort of saying something weird over here about smelling girls' hair and so on. It's quite another when we're looking at World War III. So, you know, the stakes are high. Um, Okay, let's shift gears entirely. But there's a related thread, as I said, speaking of going off script. So normally I wouldn't be covering the Oscars because I really can't stand most of those people and I don't watch their stupid shows. And I I know that they hate half the country and they hate people like me who are just not one of their partisan hacks who, you know, is woke and submits to all of their demands. So I really have no use for them. And I've more and more. I don't even watch their products. I don't I don't watch their movies. I just don't. But. Who could miss the you know slap heard around the world last night? My friend Joelle texted me. She was like, MK, Will Smith just smacked Chris Rock. I'm like, what? So I looked it up on Twitter. Chris Rock got up there and made a joke about, um, he, he clearly ad-libbed it. 
he was introducing like best documentary and he said something like, oh, there's Will and Jada, Jada, you're going to be great in G.I. Jane, too. And it was clearly a reference to her, her head, which she doesn't have hair. And I don't know. I don't want to say she shaves what hair she has. She has uh, alopecia, which is a condition that causes your hair to fall out. By the way, she rocks the bald head. Jada Pinkett Smith is an example in class and beauty. Um, nobody else could look as good as she looks. With she's just she can do anything. So she's sitting there looking glamorous and gorgeous. But he made a comment about it. And I don't know that Chris Rock knows she suffers from alopecia. She has gone public with it. I've interviewed her a few times. She's public with it. Um, but that doesn't mean Chris Rock knows that. <laughs> I don't know what magazine Chris Rock is reading. He's probably a pretty busy guy. So he made a comment about how she's going to be great in the next G.I. Jane 2, you know, which is Demi Moore shaved her head for that first film. She, Chris Will Smith laughed initially, but Jada immediately was sort of shaking her head. And she, in a classy way, was sort of showing him, I don't like that, but she wasn't going to make a big thing about it. But the husband changed his mind and did decide he was offended or at least saw she was upset, decided to defend his lady, got up on the Oscar stage and smacked Chris Rock. And then when he went back down to the stands, the seats said, basically, don't effing talk about my wife. Get my wife's name out of your effing mouth. Here's the clip. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane, too. Can't wait to see it. All right. (laughs) 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 It's Jalazan. That was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your no! I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Mm. What do you make of it, Sarab? There's a lot of opinions on this today. So first of all, my take is that I grew up watching the 90s Oscars. Those were the ha- truly kind of last halcyon days of Hollywood. And Will Smith was just kind of this figure of of a wholesome 1990s that I remember. So from my point of view, first of all, there's this loss, this sense of loss 20 years later, where everything has somewhat darkened. You know, American power has declined relatively. We've gone through 9-11 and the Great Recession and COVID and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And our celebrities, the wholesome celebrities of the 90s have somehow gone down, have declined along with that. So there's this kind of poignancy about the whatever that was that that transpired. Um, the second thought is there's something very 19th century about this. I don't think people have commented on this or maybe say late 18th century where if someone, you know, insulted your lady, you you stood up and you slapped him and then you had to duel. You know, it was a, the slap was a <laughs> the beginning of this code of honor kind of thing where you went out and duel. There was some element of a except. I mean, I mean, the, the vulgarity afterward wouldn't you wouldn't you, you wouldn't see that in a Russian tea room. But the the slapping and the prelude to a duel, I guess it's better, better off now that men don't resolve these kinds of dif- differences with with pistols. <laughs> So in a way, now, maybe now that's that that would have been a ratings getter. Um, the, 
by the way, the ratings have been tanking steadily for the Oscars for the past, I, you know, 20 years. It used to get like 40 million viewers. Last year, they got 10 million. I imagine last night's numbers will go up because people heard about it and turned on um, the show to see Will Smith smacking Chris Rock. I'll tell you, I have a couple thoughts on it. I mean, I've been sort of wrestling to figure out how I feel. It's like it wasn't immediately apparent to me how I felt about it other than, wow, that's shocking. Um, in the end, I understand Will Smith wanting to, to defend his wife. Um, that wasn't the way to do it. Uh, you know, I think he would have looked stronger. And I think he was looking for an opportunity to look strong. That To me, that looked like a man trying to look strong, not necessarily being strong. Uh, and I think he would have looked stronger had he scowled and dealt with it after the show directly man to man, as opposed to like making a spectacle out of himself in the moment, which to me just seemed almost needy in its demand for attention. That that was how I felt like I, I'm looking at him think and I, and I and I love Will and Jada. I'm not like I'm rooting for them. I love her in particular. But um I thought it was a bit of a performance on his part. I think it came across. I don't think it was planned, but I think it was a bit of a performance. And I think he would have been better served if he had gone the classy road that his wife always goes. Make the face, move on. You know, you're Jada and Will. You don't need to like respond to every stupid ass joke. Uh, and Chris Rock, I don't know whether he knew or he didn't know, but he has taken a few shots at Jada Pinkett Smith. He took one at the Oscars, I guess, in 2016. She didn't go because she didn't think it was, I don't know, diverse. Maybe that might have been Oscars so white. I can't remember. Um, and he basically said, oh, her not coming to the Oscars is like me not going into Rihanna's underwear. We weren't invited. <laughs> so, OK, that's kind of fun. If you're a public figure, they're going to take shots at you. That that one's kind of funny. I don't know the history. Um but I do know that all those celebrities who stood and clapped for him when he went on to win Best Oscar, Best Best Actor, the Oscar for it, and da- surrounded him and cheered him, Sarab, at the after parties would have been having a very different reaction to him if he had been white and Chris Rock had just remained Chris Rock. I do think there was some level of pass given, and I don't totally understand why. I have to bring this up because it's huge on the internet. It was huge on the internet when I was looking at this uh, in real time last night, Megan. I was that um, aside from that issue, which a lot of people commented on, I don't know where I stand on it because I think I saw a lot of condemnations online too, but um, that it was staged. It was it, This was the Academy's desperate effort to revive its ratings. I don't think it was, especially now. I mean, I watched the you know, versions early on that were appearing over and over on Twitter. But when you just played it with the full sound on, on the big screen here, it was like that that's 100% real. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that it's a human moment. It was the very human moment and, and too raw to be fake. Um, and I mean, I thought it was, it was a good outcome. It sounds like um, Chris Rock is not pressing charges. So it, 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 certainly there was like no case for a prosecution once once the victim declines to press charges. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a such a raw moment that there's no way we should settle this, at least for people on the Internet, that there's no way that was fake. That was very well, apparently my favorite story about it is apparently Denzel Washington went up to Will Smith after the fact, or like he was like comforting him after the moment. And uh, by the way, who is Chris Rock's comforter? Because he was the one who needed to be comforted. I, 
I do feel for the guy. I'm sure it was humiliating as a man. No man wants to, you know, be treated that way on the national stage or on any stage. But I mean, it had the extra element of a humiliation for Chris Rock. And that's unfortunate. My, my heart goes out to him on that. Um, but anyway, Denzel Washington apparently said to Will Smith something like, um, it's at your highest moment that the devil comes to get you. Oh, I love that. I'm like, note to self, make friends with Denzel Washington, however necessary. <laughs> like, That's good advice. I like that. That's actually true, right? Have you? I feel like I've experienced that in my own life, and I've never heard the saying. Uh, it was pretty good. Okay, so here's Will Smith accepting because he later would go on to win Best Actor, and the oh, the moment I don't know, you, the audience will decide whether it was tarred by that earlier exchange, whether it was enhanced by the earlier exchange. But clearly, he was making a reference to what had happened earlier. Here's part of Will Smith's acceptance speech. Richard Williams um, was a fierce defender of his family. (laughs) To do what we do, you got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, this is a beautiful moment and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying for winning an award. It's not it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Art imitates. I think what he meant was life imitates art. Um, but yeah, he won for playing the father of Venus and Serena, uh, who, yeah, he was making the point that he was portrayed as nuts uh, in, in, you know, by the media and that he was feeling a bit of that himself. Look, I get that celebrities are normal people. They really are. They're just like you and me. Like they, I'm sure it does hurt to see his wife attacked, to be attacked. There's an article about their marriage in the papers, like, every week talking about is he gay is it open relate like what whatever all the speculation it's annoying but i would say people in his position need to remember when they go up there there are people in the world with real problems record inflation they're losing their jobs the mandate of the vaccine has cost a lot of people a lot people have lost loved ones to covid so on and so forth when you're in the position of will smith and you go up there and you have a few moments with that microphone you need to remember that and them and not your own personal suffering that really what you're saying is people say nasty things about you. Like the average American doesn't give a damn. They have actual problems that they need to worry about. Yeah, I, I go back to uh, Denzel Washington. I saw last night as part of the coverage of this that he says he reads the Bible every day. And, um, you know, the Bible is is full of warnings against being rash, being reckless. And that's it. 
it, like you said, the devil gets you at that those moments. It's, it, I mean, as a Christian, it's certainly part of my tradition. Like you work so hard, you actually have achieved something that night. But if you're, if you're not watching out uh, over, over your own kind of baser passions and you're not controlling them, you can, you can kind of ruin a moment like that. I'm sure he doesn't, he didn't want to be up there having just won, you know, a pinnacle award in his profession mm. tainted, as you said, by this kind of, um, tawdry drama. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I'm with Denzel, but, uh, it's easier said than done. Yeah. You got to follow Jada, follow Jada's example. Take the high road. It, it never served anybody poorly. Um, okay. So moving on, can we talk about compact for a minute? Because this is big, you know, we, I do want to ask you about the Hunter Biden thing, since the Post has now been proven right by the New York Times. Don't you kind of hate that? It's like, well, we knew the Post was right. We don't need the New York Times to finally acknowledge it on page 20 of their A section in a in the 23rd paragraph of this in-depth report for it to be true. Right. But the mainstream, the left, they need the New York Times to say it before they can acknowledge it's true. And there's been no mea culpa by the New York Times or Twitter which censored the New York Post's reporting uh, in advance of the... Okay, so you were at the Post when all that happened, but now you're forming Compact. I want to get to Compact and I want to get to Hunter, Hunter Biden. So what's Compact? Um, so Compact is a new web magazine um, co-founded by three people. Uh, two of us, me and uh, Matthew Schmitz, are of the right. But we have a third partner, Edwin Aponte, who's of the left. Um, but we think we can come together to offer a compelling journalistic critique of of the American overclass. These are the people who um, uh, got us into 20 years of fruitless um, and bloody wars in the Middle East and North Africa that cost hundreds of thousands of lives. These are the people who um, have paid no price for the Great Recession. Um, and then again, for the, you know, jobs and small businesses destroying lockdowns that, um, you know, uh, caused uh, Jeff Bezos's wallet to swell and lots of other mm-hmm. oligarchic type figures here in the West to do well as a result of the lockdowns, but ordinary Americans lost their jobs and lost their small businesses. So we think there is an opportunity to be had, not a kind of left and right come together to meet at the middle, but left and right using their different lenses to shine lights on, um, you know, the failings and corruption of our, of our ruling class. Um, and you mentioned we can tie it into the Hunter Biden story. That's, that's another example of um, every institution that was supposed to stand for truth in a, demo, in a crucial democratic election actually silenced the truth. The New York Post, where I was working at the time, as you said, put out this report. I was helping run the opinion pages. I wasn't involved in the actual reporting of the Hunter files, but I knew that we had done right by this story and it was more solid than lots and lots of other similar stories that had appeared, anti-Trump stories that never got censored. But in this case, big tech teamed up with the kind of blue check media, which in turn teamed up with you know, deep state figures, former intelligence officials, to all claim this was Russian disinformation. And so as a result, um, light was not shined on the Biden family's corruption. And especially, um, you know, we're talking about Ukraine now. This involved Hunter getting paid $80,000 a month by a Ukrainian energy firm to help set up meetings between his father, who was then vice president, and executives of that firm. This was a solid story. um, And yet we have a ruling class that it uses power. And this is the crucial thing for Compact, um, that a lot of the power that um, oppresses us nowadays, a lot of the coercion we face, doesn't necessarily come from the government. 
It's often from corporate power. It's private power. And conservatives especially have lost sight of the possibility that large corporations can threaten um, uh, our freedoms just as much as government can. So we're trying to, you know, uh, shed light on that and to be as as aware of private abuses of, of power, monopoly power, in power in the employment employee relationship, big tech power, as we are of governmental abuses. The uh, Babylon Bee has been suppressed now for days because they sent out a tweet on the trans issue that Twitter didn't like, but they're brilliant. And one of the things that they tweeted out prior to getting shut down was nation wishes there were some way they could have known about the Hunter Biden laptop story before the election. <laughs> it's like, like the left is finally talking about it now that's safe. Now that he's in office, they can say, oh, you know, it just needed to be verified. That's all. We just had to make sure. Meanwhile, you've got people like James Clapper still holding on at the time we wrote that letter. At the time, our caution was warranted and people have moved on. They know they're being lied to by those folks. I think you're absolutely right. I think the classism that's infected media is as pernicious, if not more, than just the leftist bias, the classism that has taken over, you know, the Don Lemons of the world who just can't see regular people the way they must in order to be effective journalists. So I love, love, love this idea. How can people get it? It's just like, what do they what do they do? So uh, they can visit it at www.compactmag.com. Um, and um, right now we're offering all our content for free. At some point, we'll have to impose a paywall, but readers right now can access all of it for, for free and get a taste of it and, and then hopefully subscribe. It's going to be a huge success. I can feel it in my bones. So, Rab, great to have you. Good luck with it. Thank you, Megan. All right. See you soon. All right. Coming up, we're going to have Emily Jashinsky back from The Federalist, as well as Eliana Johnson. I'm not squinting my eyes because I don't like Eliana. I can't read anything. I need my glasses. I'm going to put them on. They're <laughs> coming back. Uh, our culture warriors to talk about everything. Love them. Don't, don't go away. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. What is happening at Yale Law School? They're even more annoying than you thought. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, the award for the most woke night in television goes, as usual, to the Oscars, despite their attempts to unwokeify it because of terrible, terrible ratings. Um, they went woke again. Emily Jasinski is the culture editor at The Federalist and host of The Federalist Radio Hour. And Eliana Johnson is editor in chief of The Washington Free Beacon and co-host of Ink Stained Wretches, along with our pal Chris Steyerwell. Welcome, Emily and Eliana. Good to have you back. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's great to have you. Okay. So, um, I just want to give the audience a quick update because a lot of people write in and ask about my dumb dog, Strudwick. I love him. I, he's adorable. He's the worst dog. He's he's a, he's a very cute puppy. But can I just tell you, I just got an update from downstairs where I, I do my home, my show from home. Strudwick just took a dump in the TV room. 
The dog <laughs> won't learn. He won't learn. Just this morning, the, the people know he jumps up and he, he eats the food right off of our counter as I'm like serving it to my kids, literally about to hand the two pieces of toast and the scrambled eggs on top of it to my kid. And the dog ate it. He jumped up. I was pulling the toast out of his mouth so he didn't get the reward. And everybody's like, put him on a leash. Well, that doesn't stop him. Put him in the crate. Well, he never shuts up. He barks the whole morning. I put him outside. He barks. He wakes up the whole day. I don't know what to do. Okay. Sorry, ladies. Sorry. <laughs> Eliana has an infant. So I, I think she's I was going to say, uh, I think <laughs> I have my sister downstairs uh, babysitting my daughter. And I think I'm about to get the same update. Uh, text <laughs> well, I hope it's easier to clean up than the mess I'm looking at after this show. Uh, okay. I left it off just a little bit with uh, Sarab on Oscars. And you guys have got to have thoughts on the slap heard around the world. Who wants to take it? I mean, I can jump in. I think it was, Go. Um, I mean, I, this was, this was wild because we don't have as many A-list celebrities as we used to. We don't have so many like Will Smith's and the younger generation because Hollywood has stopped making movies that are mass palatable, right? That everyone can watch and everyone can enjoy because Hollywood doesn't know how to do that anymore. And their financial incentives aren't over there anymore. So you have Chris Rock and Will Smith. These are like two bona fide A-listers. Um, and, and that's kind of, what the Oscars has been missing um, is like, we just don't have these old stars like we used to. And so I think that made this extra crazy. Um, and I actually think, you know, the, the conversation that Will Smith had when he won his award, which he completely deserved, that was the best performance of the year. Um, I, I thought he handled it really well. I was ready to, you know, my, the, the takes were like spinning in my head. Uh, but then when he got up there and, you know, I, I'm not a huge Will Smith fan, but he, he was so eloquent and sincere. Um, and I thought it was a sort of a clinic in masculinity, right? Like he let himself, um, he, he let his, his sort of calm get away from himself in that difficult moment. And then he came and apologized. Uh, and if Hollywood is going to err in one direction, I'd rather it be, you know, husbands defending their wives than being disloyal to them. So it was almost okay. refreshing. But let me ask you this. Okay. Cause I, I was saying with Saurabh, I, I thought, and I, I, lo I love Will and Jada, but I, I thought he made that moment about himself. I didn't think it was a clinic in masculinity. I thought it was a clinic in ego. I thought he saw an opportunity to look like the tough defender and he does love Jada. I have no doubt of that, but like, I thought he made that moment about himself more so than about Jada, which I did not think was what a real man does in that kind of situation. But that's that was my takeaway. What did you think, Eliana? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of team Chris on this in that uh, if if anybody ever punches me in the face or slaps me in the face in public, I hope to take it like Chris Rock. I just could not believe he maintained his composure and kept a smile on his face during all of that. That was like uh, serious professionalism. And I don't know. I don't have strong views on this. I thought um, the the whole drama happening on national television on stage was kind of demonstrates why nobody really cares about Hollywood and the Oscars anymore. And that like, this is not what people want their children watching. Uh, and I hadn't seen really any of the movies uh, last night. Not that like I'm a reflection of the tastes of America, but, um, but you know, I like when I was a kid, Forrest Gump was on TV, not to age myself. And, mm -hmm. and I just feel like this is not like th these people have gotten like really far afield from you know, whatever the, the tastes of average people. Uh, absolutely. Well, the, the three women who 
opened the ceremony and I guess they were the hosts of it. Again, I literally watched not one moment. I only watched the Twitter highlight of the of the slap. Um, uh, me too. <laughs> I don't even know these women. I, I think I know Amy yeah. Schumer. I don't know. I, I, I don't know these stars anymore, um, but they opened it up and all I heard was woke, woke, woke if I woke. Here's here's a clip. This year, the Academy hired three women to host because it's cheaper than hiring one man. <laughs> to be hosting, representing black women who are standing proud. Yes, and I'm and living out loud. Yes. 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 And I am representing unbearable white women who call the cops when you get a little too loud. Okay. <laughs> you know, this year we saw a frightening display of how toxic masculinity turns into cruelty towards women and children. Mm. Tell you, damn that Mitch McConnell. I know. I know. <laughs> But you know, I was actually talking about the power of the dog. Oh, yes. Yes. We're gonna have a great night uh, tonight, and for you people in Florida, we're gonna have a gay night. Gay, 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 gay. My lord. Okay, so in that one little bit, rip on men, rip on white women, rip on Mitch McConnell, Republicans and rip on the don't say gay, quote unquote, don't say gay bill in Florida, which is a total misrepresentation of what it actually is. So basically rip on parents' rights. And they actually think that they're going to drive their numbers up with the people who no longer watch them. Uh, Who? Who? Yeah. I mean, as if we don't get enough of this, if you turn on cable news, this is just like (laughs) nothing that we can't get elsewhere. Why tune in for this? It's also like really rich to to hear three... Uh, multi-millionaires making a joke about how uh, women have less earning power than than men um, <laughs> right. and these women who have been so extraordinarily successful and not in the least held back uh, by their gender. I think it was Kyle Smith uh, writing at National Review who said something like um, Amy Schumer makes like twelve million dollars a movie, which is one million for every person who finds her funny. Like. <laughs> It's just like, come on. It wasn't even funny. Like the way they were delivering the lines. By the way, I do know those women. Regina Hall is definitely wearing the same dress that I wore to prom 1987. We'll lay it in the YouTube so I can prove it to you. There's a pink dress and I'm telling you, she got it. My mom sold mine at the garage sale and I never found out where it went. I said, mom, don't sell my prom dress. And the next thing I know, all you can grab for a dollar, it was gone. Um, I'm not saying it, that she had it, but it inspired somebody because it came back in full fashion this year. Uh, but it wasn't even funny, right? So it's like they hate Republicans. They're going to misrepresent things like the don't say gay bill, which we've heard way too ma- mis- many misrepresentations about. And that, how is this going to drive the numbers up from 10 million back to 40? Well, you know, what comes to mind is uh, in the Michael Jordan documentary that was fantastic. Um, I, I guess it was like two years ago now. Um, he He would not get into politics. And he said, Republicans buy shoes too. And, you know, in this case, it's Republicans watch movies too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're driving them away. I don't know if anybody's well, watching these movies. To, that's that's what's so interesting about all of this. And I wrote about this in the Federalist this morning. It's that like Hollywood and Stephen Colbert, like why is Stephen Colbert the most popular host in late night? Because he's decided to go all in on a niche when you don't need to get Johnny Carson's numbers to be the top host of late night. You need he needs like three or four million viewers as opposed to you know 15 million. And so he's going to sit down, have his writers ask, ask not what is going to make America laugh tonight, but what is going to make 
resistance boomers laugh tonight. And mm-hmm. so if you can get that same <laughs> small group tuning in reliably, then you can um, corner the market and be the top host. And I think the Oscars is going in a similar direction, but movies in general are going in a similar direction, that they're more for niche audiences, which creates this vicious cycle where it's like Hollywood has no idea what unites the country anymore because they're just going to these smaller and smaller audiences. So they don't even know how to make movies that Republicans would want to watch. I mean, people kind of have to watch what they put out if they want to watch movies. Uh, But the movies are in in and of themselves appealing less to what uh, brings us together as human beings or as Americans and more to what brings us together in these very small niche groups, which makes the Oscars a really difficult thing to produce, period. Uh, But it sounded like middle schoolers were writing their jokes, which is what Colbert's show sounds like every night. It's Um, so true. And this is kind of why. And by the way, there's a reason why now he's his he's gotten beaten many nights by Greg Gutfeld and his late Mm -hmm. show uh, over at Fox for very good reason. Greg is genuinely funny and he appeals to more than just the far left. The right loves him and the center loves him. And it's embarrassing for these folks who are on the free TV channels, the ones you get if you just buy a television and plug it in um, to be getting beaten by Greg, who's on a cable service that you have to pay for. But that's that's the American people telling, you know, the populace what they want. And that and yet the people who own these, you know, distribution companies, they don't they don't listen. I mean, look what's happening right now with Disney, how it's completely caved. Disney owns ABC. ABC broadcast the Oscars. Disney is now basically in a a full fetal position on this. Don't say gay bill. Again, I hate to refer to it as that because you can say gay. It's absurd. That's not what the law is. It's basically saying you sex education um, and transgender education doesn't need to begin with the little ones under grade three. Um, And even above grade three, it should be a appropriate. That's what the Florida bill says. That's it. It doesn't say you can't say gay. And if you want to teach your kid about gay and lesbian, like we did in our house, you do it at home. Two of my best friends are lesbians. They're married. We talked all about it. You know how we had them over for dinner. (laughs) Like, hey, what's the deal there? Well, women can get married too. What? Who needs the school? Like if the teacher doesn't say it, my kid, how will my kid ever know? Right? Like, who are they kidding? They're just using it as a wedge issue. I read through the bill this morning when it was uh, when it was on the list of topics. And yeah, the don't say gay branding is really a testament to the victory of the opposition here. And I've seen critics, uh, including in The New York Times, say, uh, you know, teachers can't mention the word. And how is anybody going to talk about these issues at all? But uh, you're right. uh, The the bulk of the bill is actually about parental notification, not even about classroom instruction. And the part about classroom instruction pertains to. Uh, lessons in K to three and reading through the bill, uh, what did jump out to me was just the distortions in the public discourse about this bill. It's it is uh, it's incredibly shocking. And it does speak to why uh, why folks do not trust the media anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the media it's been has been unbelievable. I, I mean, they've, they've used the they've jumped on board. Label. Yeah, they've yeah, they've used it. And it's insane. And I, I do. I actually think some of the language of the bill is overly broad. But the idea that it's going to be enforced in a way that if somebody says gay in a classroom, they are breaking the laws is also insane. And the idea that the media perpetuated that disinformation, the same media that polices all of the other disinformation or, or information they deem disinformation has been spreading outright disinformation on a huge narrative is completely insane. And it should Mm -hmm. be, you know, if if anyone needs to put a nail in the coffin of 
the the so-called mainstream media or the legacy media, this should be it. They told you, no matter what you think about this, they were giving you completely false information. Um, and it just shows how like when the public actually needs to rely on the media as the gateway into our government, you can't anymore. It's it, maybe it is not functioning in that. Respect. Maybe like a year from now on page 20 of the a, blo- a section of the New York Times in the 23rd paragraph, we'll get an update saying, by the way, that that wasn't about not saying gay. And no apology and no acknowledgement of one's error. And that's the thing that's so irritating about the Hunter Biden story. Like we knew we didn't need the New York Times to to finally come around to the truth that this is a thing. It was Hunter's laptop. It wasn't Russian disinformation. And he is a hot mess in ways that are deeply problematic, potentially even for his dad in terms of conflicts of interest and, you know, money laundering. There's all sorts of uh, investigations going on right now into Hunter Biden and what he did and didn't do. We didn't need the New York Times. What's so annoying about it is there's no acknowledgement. Where's Twitter's apology to to the New York Post? Right. Where like Politico and all of its reporting about, you know, what this meant and what how disinformation this was, what what the Post was reporting. Where's the acknowledgement that? No, they won't. The political Uh, reporter was promoted, not promoted, but she went to CNN and got a a great job there. Uh, Oh, oh, is that um, what's her name? Natasha. Natasha Oh, yeah. She's was used the worst on Russiagate. The worst. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You get rewarded. You, you fail up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's the incentive. Go ahead, Eliana. What were you going to say? Uh, you know, Chris Starwell and I talk about this all the time on our podcast that I'm with you. What drives me insane about this is there is zero accountability in the mainstream media. Um, you know, we, I'm sure we can all understand making a mistake. Everybody gets things wrong. Uh, in the mainstream media, there is no penalty for making these sorts of mistakes. And in fact, as Emily said, you get rewarded uh, mm-hmm. for peddling the false narratives. Uh, you get promotions. You get more airtime. Uh, you ha- you get more success in your career. Uh, all the incentives are backwards. Before we move off the celebrity beat, can we talk about um, Kanye and Kim? OK, Emily, I know that you wrote something about this and I was into it. Um, so Kanye and Kim, I don't know if the divorce is final, but they're definitely getting a divorce. And um, she's hooked up with Pete Davidson. Don't understand the phenomenon. I see it. Every single beautiful woman in Hollywood has had an affair with this guy. I don't get it. Um, But they have. And he's and he just bailed off of the latest the next SpaceX flight. Right. Didn't he? He just he just he said he had a scheduling conflict. (laughs) What? No. Decadence. This is the age of goals. That is goals. I mean, maybe when you're dating Kim Kardashian, that could be real. It's like, I I don't know. You might actually have something more important to do if you're a man. Um, So there's a bit of a a feud between Kanye and Pete Davidson, where Kanye continues to sort of needle Pete and needle Kim and Trevor Noah weighed in saying, I love Kanye, but he's got to stop. I, I don't know what's happening, but you had some interesting observations on the nature of Kanye's objections that he's voicing Emily online and why we might want to be paying a little bit more attention to the substance there as opposed to just being like, oh, Kanye, people. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch him sort of convert to evangelical Christianity and then try to make his old life fit with his new life. I think it gives a lot of insight into actually the way like evangelicals have to confront the culture and Christians in general have to confront the culture, but he's upset about sort of the the influence of TikTok in his very young children's life, particularly North, um, who's eight years old and is using TikTok with her mother, was lip syncing to a like very, very, very inappropriate song um, by, you know, the, I, I forget actually who the song is by, but it was um, about kissing an emo girl. Um, and it's a super popular song. It's a TikTok 
mean. Um, and it may like seem like it's nothing to a lot of parents in 2022, but to somebody who's trying to live a Christian lifestyle, that's a very big deal. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to watch Kanye try to fit his, his new life in together with his old life, where you have your wife raising your, your kids and your family around people who are bad influences, clearly, like Pete Davidson, absolutely a bad influence. There's no question about it. Um, and it's not that Kanye West is a perfect human being, um, although I think we could say he's, he's trying to be better and we get way more insight into that process than we do with most celebrities. Um, but it, it is, I mean, it, TikTok is something that is actually very bad, but is normalized in our culture. And so when you're trying to um, exist in the culture, especially as an ultra famous celebrity, uh, while also, you know, being in, you know, a lot of people in, in Christian circles would say you need to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's what Kanye West is trying to do as somebody who has always been very much of the world. And it's causing conflict. And to see that play out in his marriage is really sad and tragic for the children. But I think it's also um, insight into how sort of secular our cultural norms have become. Yeah. In your piece, you, you wrote, um, They've lived their life in in the public eye, and uh, the rapper uh, is clearly in a bad place. But West may have some legitimate concerns about leftist and secular influences introduced to his young children. And I wrote in the margin, then don't reproduce with a progressive selfie star. Right. Like That's (laughs) I mean, you know, like this is foreseeable. And and one of the things that jumps out at me is this is like every parent's nightmare in getting a divorce if you have children, right? That your your ex is going to find a new person whose values you don't share. And maybe you've realized too late in the marriage that you don't share the ex's values when it comes to child rearing. And now your kid not only has to be raised by somebody other than you half the time, but it's someone you can't stand or you actually think is genuinely bad for them. To me, that is like torture. That that would be a form of torture on earth. I can't I cannot imagine. Um, and, and especially when you're just expected to deal with it um, as a celebrity and, you know, not weigh in and not make this stuff public. But to and, and I think that's obviously the way better course here for Kanye West is to deal with this in private. Um, but it's been difficult for both of them because, you know, you don't want to make it look like you endorse Pete Davidson, who Kanye calls Skeet, by the way, uh, Skeet's influence. In his kids why? Uh, but well, do we know it's, why? It's tragic. But do, you're do right. Like, like, what do you expect? You married Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Like I, you you knew what you were getting. It's not like she posted. Remember that picture she posted that broke the Internet of like her naked bottom and her naked breasts and like she was on, on a champagne bottle or something. And I remember his tweet at the time, which is un- sort of unforgettable. It was all night long. <laughs> OK, great. But there might be a downside to that balance that you should put some thought into. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> Like Doug is never going to have that problem now. <laughs> that's and that's why it's so interesting that like after he goes on this journey where he he's really trying to live like a Christian lifestyle, um, he, it's he, making those two puzzle pieces fit together is extremely difficult. He must have been sitting there learning all the lessons, going, "Oh shit! Oh, oh I swore <laughs> again. I mean, dang." Dang, it's so hard. Sorry, I only have two more. What is it? Two more weeks of Lent. Just did the fourth Sunday. Uh, all right. Stand by, ladies, because there's much, much more to discuss. <laughs> um, I'm dying to talk about that. I've been on vacation, so I haven't been able to talk about the Marsha Blackburn uh, moment with uh, our next Supreme Court justice and what a woman is. I'll put it to you, too. Let's see if you can figure it out. So that's it. There's your homework over the two minute commercial break. We'll be right back. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say. 
I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So the uh, vote on Ketanji Brown-Jackson was supposed to happen today at three. They, they said it's almost certainly going to be postponed, however, for whatever reason. But she's going to get through. I mean, there's no drama attached to that. The hearing last week I thought was about as milk toast and mild as you can get in today's day and age. Um, I didn't see or hear anything that was upsetting to me. I did see and hear some upsetting reaction to Marsha Blackburn's question, what is a woman? Even in right wing, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts and so on, even in right wing podcasts, like that was out of line. It was a stupid question. Oh, shut up. It's not a stupid question. It's it's a stupid debate to be having it at all. But the left has made it, us have it. And now we're going to have it. And somebody sitting on the Supreme Court should be able to answer that with ease. It wasn't something she needed to dodge. But here was the moment, just for those of you who missed it, sound by 10. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Of- I, I find this whole thing maddening. I don't think it was a dumb question. It was a clever question. She was trying to pin her down on whether she was going to be a, a reasonable person who would stand up to the woke on their nonsense interpretations of things that we all know to be true. And and the judge effectively answered it. She will not. She 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 requires their approval, because she wouldn't have lost one vote if she had answered that honestly. I mean, your knee jerk reaction would probably be double X chromosome or, you know, whatever you get when you get the right. The the the, the definition, according to Deborah So, who I've had on the podcast and she's brilliant. She's you know got all sorts of degrees and all of this uh, is you have gametes. You have only two gametes. You got ones that produce sperms and ones that produce eggs and it's binary. You're one or the other. And it determines biological sex, which is not fluid and it's not a social construct. It's one or the other male or female. Maybe she doesn't know about gametes. That's fine. She knows about chromosomes. Any moron knows double X or XY. Everybody knows that. All right. Anyway, what did you make of it? Because I, when I listened to her, Emily, I liked her. I thought this is as good as we're going to do for I'm more of an originalist and a Federalist Society type person in a selection of judges. But I thought she's nice. She doesn't sound like a total radical. But that answer actually did concern me. Yeah, that answer concerned me immensely as well, um, as did her answer on the question of when life begins. But what the media completely stripped out of context is that Marsha Blackburn and Megan, you know this as a lawyer, she was asking about an extremely important case, and that would be the VMI case. This was in the context of a line of questioning about the Supreme Court's VMI case, which involves sex and gender. 
Um, and these are cases that we can expect to make their way, similar cases uh, to the Supreme Court in recent years, given the way our culture war is heading, in which a juror, in which a jurist's um, definition of biological sex becomes incredibly salient. So it wasn't as though Marcia Blackburn was just flinging silly culture war questions, um, even though this one is relevant, uh, whatever you think. And the media, again, stripped it out of context and made it seem like Marsha Blackburn was just asking completely random questions, when in fact, this was in a very serious line of questioning. And I actually interviewed Marsha Blackburn the week before the hearings began. And she reiterated to me time and again, that this was going to be a respectful civil process. Um, and I was kind of expecting, I don't know, maybe I was expecting something different after Kavanaugh and, um, you know, the Amy Coney Barrett circus. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I actually think the Republicans managed to stick to that. I was disgusted by anybody on the right who uh, critiqued that line of questioning, who said there wasn't, you know, that these were not reasonable substantive issues. They absolutely are. And it's just, again, a great example of how far our standards have fallen, that the media is behaving this way and even people on the right are behaving this way. Yeah. You know what? When you deal with Title VII claims and Title IX claims, you need to understand what a woman is and what a woman isn't. And honestly, in that moment, she could have said, my understanding of a woman is somebody with two X chromosomes. But I understand legally things are changing and and people who have an XY are now identifying as female. And that becomes a legal issue, gender versus biological sex. She's very well smart enough to answer that in a, in a way that acknowledges, I see where you're going. This is my understanding. But, you know, it's 2022. And I get now that this has become an issue. And that's even that's an issue for some. Her playing dumb on it offended me. I really just thought that that is absurd. And that's the kind of thing I really hope to see held against people who push that kind of messaging come the next election. Like, Eliana, that's the stuff that, look, it's a long time between now and November, but that's the stuff that will stick in America's craw if they see too many people saying it. We know what a woman is. We know that there are trans women as well, people who are biologically male, but identify as female. The vast majority of people will respect that and be kind to a person dealing with that. But it doesn't require the erasure of women. Megan, you said she wouldn't have lost any votes if she had answered that question. Um, I think she blew an opportunity to gain some votes. I actually think she could have gotten some Republican votes if she would have given a candid answer. And I think the one that you proposed is good. Somebody with two X chromosomes. It is a problem when, you know, the smartest elites in our society Uh, say they can't answer a question that you could uh, go up to the guy on the street corner and get an answer to. Uh, That is, I think, what uh, is driving a wedge between the elites and the regular people and that people find absurd. And I think it is something that, you know, Biden campaigned as a moderate. He isn't governing as a moderate. And I think that it's these sorts of things, these sorts of like, oh, sorry, I can't answer what a woman is, uh, that uh, Glenn, we saw Glenn Youngkin in Virginia campaign on these sorts of things um, in in the gubernatorial race, and that Democrats are probably going to pay for in the November midterms. But uh, I think Katanji Brown Jackson blew an opportunity uh, to to make a statement about who she is and where she stands, and and perhaps to gain some votes. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. On a on a not unrelated note, um, I mentioned it earlier, and I know uh, Emily, you you interviewed Babylon B uh, founder, who's a great guy. But uh, Babylon B still shut down. Their Twitter account is still 
not operational because they sent out sort of they're snarky. That's what they do. That's why we love them. Um, a tweet about Rachel Levine, who is U.S. Assistant Secretary of HHS. I mean, nobody's ever heard of whoever filled this position prior to Rachel Levine. Uh, but the reason Rachel Levine has become well known is because this is a trans woman. This is a biological man who lived the vast majority of their life as a male. I think it was mid 50s uh, transition to female. <laughs> And now is in this role and was celebrated when Biden appointed Rachel Levine to this role as the first woman, first woman admiral to hold it. Or maybe she was the first first woman admiral something. And now USA Today has named her one of its women of the year, women of the year. I have problems with that. And I will explain why, with all due respect to Rachel. Um so, but the Babylon Bee does what it does, which is, you know, they make fun of everybody and lots of woke, you know, sort of issues and policies. And they tweeted out that Rachel Levine is their man of the year. Shut down. Shut down for, quote, hateful content. They will Twitter in its beneficent way will allow them access to the Twitter account if they delete the, the tweet. You can have it back within 12 hours. Just delete it. Unsay it. Go, go my way. See the world as I do. Don't say anything, quote, hateful. And we, Twitter, will decide what's, quote, hateful. Uh, and they won't do it. So let me start with you on it, Eliana, and, and ask you what you make of Rachel Levine as, quote, woman of the year by USA Today. Well, I just laughed at the at your reading of the Babylon Bee tweet. So I guess <laughs> that's where I stand on it. Um I mean, it's just so ridiculous and hard to take seriously. Um, I, I honestly, like, I cannot take it seriously. Uh, I, I, woman of the year, I mean, XY chromosome, Rachel Levine, you know? Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so uh, the Babylon Bee thing, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. Exactly. Come on. Funny. It's not, look, and it's also factual. It's factual. There's no question that Rachel Levine is a biological man. That is true. It doesn't make it hateful for the Babylon Bee and pushing back at USA Today to acknowledge that fact. It's not nice. It's not a kind thing to do, but it doesn't make it, quote, hateful and worthy of censorship. But I don't run Twitter. Go ahead, Emma. Well, I mean, the other thing about the All Twitter right, move is the, sele- the selectivity with which they uh determine or they call out hatefulness where, you know, world leaders like the Ayatollah who espouse hate, like that's totally fine. But, you know, you, you look the wrong way at somebody who's trans and that's unacceptable. Um, and My I think God. that's what really gets under the skin of people who think the way that, uh, you know, you and I and Emily do. Um, it's that it's, it's our, it's our, uh, you know, it's our hate that's always looked at crosswise. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if I, I would love to give you a list of the things that I've been called by very public people on Twitter, but it would violate my Lent pledge in a way that <laughs> could not be undone. <laughs> right? So most of us see hateful things written about ourselves and we move on. Like we don't punch somebody on the Oscar stage and we don't <laughs> claim it's hateful. It has to be taken down. You just move on and go on living your beautiful life, Emily. Well, yeah, but this is the left has expanded the definition of hate and bigotry to now include and even violence, by the way, uh, violence can involve actually being misgendered. So if you accidentally use the wrong pronoun, you will fall under the definition of violence. And so that the left actually insists on and that has been um, codified in corporate institutions and major institutions around this country and around the world. And so you're making speech, innocent, uh, civil speech, you're, you're making it 
you're turning it into violence. And you have then narrowed the boundaries of what we can or cannot debate in this country to the point where it, we're outright erasing women. And we have these, these major corporations who are complicit in what, by any definition that would have been used 20 years ago, would constitute misogyny. Um, and so it's, it's unbelievable, but that's what happens when mm-hmm. you have this expanded definition. I mean, what, how do you celebrate Katanji Brown Jackson being the first female, black female, uh, nominee to the Supreme Court and perhaps, uh, perhaps justice on the Supreme Court if we don't understand what it means to be a woman? If we can't, if that definition is so fast and loose that we mm-hmm. don't even have it to the point where Rachel Levine is being named woman of the year over women, it's unbelievable. But the, the definition has been expanded. Um, that left academia and made its way into the workplace. And now it runs all of our institutions. It runs our society. It's absurd. It's not factual. It's completely wrong. It's immoral. Um, but it's the regime that we're now forced to live under. And you can't even question it as the no. Babylon Bee did. Our senior editor, John Davidson at the Federalist is locked out of his account right now for a similar infraction. You can't even question it. They'll it, shut you, know- you down. So here's why this this is why it upsets me to see this. Now, if Rachel Levine wants to live as a man, uh, as a woman now, you know, as of 10 plus years ago, fine by me. You do you. Mm-hmm. However, Rachel Levine doesn't get to be celebrated as the, quote, first female admiral to get this post or as, quote, the woman of the year, because there is a reason we put those markers in someone's bio. And it's because it's a recognition that, you know what, somebody who's now mid 60s, as Rachel is, came up in a time when it wasn't so easy for women. They actually had to overcome a lot of bold blank. <laughs> I was better before Lent. Um, I'll be back. Anyway, um, I asked somebody if you can sub in a new something to give up in the middle of Lent. And the answer was no. So I just got I got to see it through to the end, ladies. Um, anyway. <laughs> So th- th- it's an acknowledgement, right, that you have gone through, like for, uh, for a woman back then to get into medical school and do well and, you know, move your way up through the medical ranks was actually pretty impressive. And it didn't happen nearly enough. So um, if Rachel Levine had been born a woman and had lived her whole life as a woman and then became the first admiral at the HHS, et cetera, it would be something to say, OK, cool. You know, she did something that wasn't that easy to do. Same way we celebrated Ruth Bader Ginsburg being one of nine women at Harvard Law School. And so, like, that's a thing. It's not easy to be one of nine when there's, you know, I don't know, 100 plus males all around you to to not have gone through any of that. To have had all of the ease that comes, yes, let's face it, back in the in her day, in his day, of being a white man and have taken advantage of the system all those years as a white man. Great. I get it. It was a good time to be a white man, unlike today. Um, and then switch teams and want all of the accolades of like having made it. You cl- I climbed the same mountain you did. No, you didn't. You were in the ski lift. You were in the chairlift on the mountain next to me. I was fucking hiking with the sticks and it with the, the I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> you were in the gondola. Uh, Stop it. Megan, I take it you, were, you, you weren't cheering on uh, the pen swimmer Leah Thomas's no. uh, victory. No, she is not the winner. I'm sorry. She, she. I'm happy to see Leah Thomas swim in a different race or with an asterisk. But she, Leah, is not allowed to call herself the winner of the women's race. She did. She's. She was in that race fraudulently, un, unethically, um, and that too. Like I want to be supportive, but I think the best way to create support around the trans community is to not 
make the rules unfair for the communities that already exist, the, the female community, the male community. Let's create a space that works for them and for us, too, because all this is doing is causing anger and resentment. You know, like this is not the way forward. And and honestly, I know trans people. I have trans people in my family. None of them want this. None of them want this. I don't. Who are these freaking activists like Leah, who are like USA Today? Nobody's asking for this crap. Uh, the best was in the University of Pennsylvania uh, newspaper in their article about Leah Thomas. They they write in their lead in the news article is like Leah Thomas so and so becomes the first Quaker to win the <laughs> to win the race. I'm like, yes, exactly what was on all of our minds. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Well, and th- this stuff matters beyond the sort of like issue of political correctness because tragically, actually, this ha- matters a lot in prisons. It matters a lot in women's shelters. Yeah. It matters a lot in places where women need safe spaces. And even in swimming, it's more serious because there are people without uh, means or with fewer financial means who need the um who need the scholarships and mm-hmm. rely on like winning those races and having a fair playing field to get into college and to have financial support for college and so it, i think the left likes to pretend this is just about semantics and it's just about bigoted uh christians conservatives who refuse to you know go along with the language and, and change with the times but actually, there's a reason feminists fought for years to have safe spaces like restrooms, by the way, which was considered a feminist victory uh, for women. Um, and it's because men and women are different and women do need their own spaces, especially places like women's shelters um, and prisons. And you can see how this is a very important issue beyond what the left likes to pretend it's about, which is just words and just tolerance. It's, it's not just about that. It's about women's safety. Um, and the, the media, again, it always comes back to the media. The media, again, does not want to have that conversation. All right. Last question. Eliana, Yale Law School. Did you you went to Yale, right? Didn't you? I went to Yale. Yeah. So they've lost their mind. I love the Federalist Society at Yale Law School. I've spoken before that group before. It's the normal Federalist Society. They lean more right in their in their approach to the law and judicial thinking. And that's totally fine. There are different approaches to how to handle the law. That's what the Federalist Society is for. They tried to have a debate, a a fair and balanced debate on an issue. And the protesters came out, shut it down, were too loud, didn't want debate, called it hateful. What was the debate going to be over? And what's the fallout, Ben? The debate was over uh, free speech, actually. Um, The Alliance Defending Freedom uh, was one of the groups and they have a traditional view of marriage and other things. And Megan, he said you'd spoke to the group. I was going to say, be careful when you go back. Uh, I'm not sure you'll get a friendly greeting, um, but it. they were, they were, uh, not shouted down, but in the clip you're showing, uh, there were loud jeers. The students were given a warning and, um, they left the room and then from outside the room made so much noise that it became difficult to hear the speakers. Um, they disrupted other classes and professional talks going on and uh, police were required to see the speakers out the door and, you know, off the campus. So um, it's an absolute disgrace. And at Yale Law School, as at many other law schools, the lunatics are running the asylum and um, the administrators are absolutely feckless. Absolutely. And I've seen some pushback with people raising the the best point, which is um, how do you think we do it in the courtroom? Did you think just 
just the one side gets to stand up and say totally non-offensive things. And then the other, the judge just has to figure out what the other side might say, but it can never be voiced because that might offend somebody. And then he or she rules. I mean, these are absurd people. They should not be allowed to practice law. I would not hire them. And we had a federal judge, in fact, come out and say, Judge Lawrence Silverman on the D.C. Circuit, uh, come out and say that uh, free speech is a cornerstone of our legal system. And all federal judges should really think twice about hiring for clerkships anybody who participated in these clerks. And Yale Law School, it carries more important. Uh, it carries more importance when these things happen there because it is the top law school in the country. And these are our future federal judges. Uh, you know, it is concerning. Yeah. You know what? Like my advice when I spoke to the Yale Law School students was when you go out there and you seek a job, you act like you went to Albany Law where I went. <laughs> don't don't think you're high and mighty. You work hard. Keep your mouth shut on your stupid woke policies <laughs> and, and, you know, put some elbow, elbow grease into it. Actually earn your position. Uh, but I was speaking to the Federal Society, so they already knew all that. Emily, Eliana, such a pleasure as always. Great to see you. Thanks, Megan. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Marianne Williamson by popular demand. Uh, so many of you have asked me to interview her, so I'm doing it. She's led a fascinating life, and she made serious waves during the 2020 primary. In the meantime, download the show, check it out on YouTube, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.